Let's go. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Intentional Wellbeing Podcast. I have an extra special guest today, someone I've been following for quite some time, and I would hesitate to say one of the first Black people to write a book specifically about spirituality and yoga, and that book turns 25 years old this year. I want to introduce to the podcast Caroline Shola Area. Did I say it right? Uh, Known as the energy doctor, is a highly respected figure in the fields of spirituality and wellness, recognized for expertise in energy work with over three decades of international experience and awards, I might add. Shola is a psychologist, speaker, and author of five books. Five books. I wrote two and I'm tired, but five. Get it. Including bestsellers. Open to Spirit, which I own, uh, Energy for Life, which I will own. Uh, Shola trains spiritual coaches, coaches, supports individuals to reclaim their energy. We all need that. Enhance their well-being. We all need that. And transform their lives. Some of us need that. Shola will empower you to make important lifestyle changes and manifest a life that you love. Very important in the 21st century. Shola helps you get your energy back, again, which we all need, and your life on track, again, which we all need. Ah, welcome to the Intentional Wellbeing Podcast. Really, I think this podcast was made for you because you're doing all the things that help to encourage intentional well-being. Welcome to the podcast, my friend, all the way from across the pond. In are you in England? Are you in London? Where are you at? I'm in England, London. London, England. Awesome. Awesome. I've been there twice. I want to go back. Yeah, and I've I've kind of um being around where you were going to be and always hoping oh. that we would cross paths, but but yes. it kind of hadn't happened. So I'm really excited as well to have this conversation. I, you know what? I was scrolling your Instagram page this morning and I got to say, I want to jump in with this because this, this gave me like, I don't even know. I read this and I just, I died because I thought it was so important when you were talking about, I got to find the post because it it hit me right between the eyes this morning. So I was supposed to see it as I was just kind of scrolling through and, and wanted to see what your offerings were. And just to, just to like, pick something that I really wanted to talk about because you're talking about a lot of great things. And there was a post that was like bringing the black. Oh, here it is. Opening to spirit, putting the black back in yoga. I died. I said, I have been trying to get the black back into yoga my entire friggin' career, inspired by your work, inspired by the work that my mother has done in this field. But talk to me about the 25 year anniversary of your book incredible work. And if you don't have her book, I really suggest you get it. Um, It's not in print anymore. So we would have to get it from you. Yes, it is in print. It's never been out in 25 years. That's amazing. Opening to spirit. Okay. Opening to spirit is the book. And don't worry, we'll link to it in the show notes where you can grab yourself a copy. Tell me what inspired you to write that book 25 years ago. That's that's 1998. 1998. I think that's amazing. I think that was maybe one around the first time I taught one of my first yoga classes, right? Like public yoga classes. So it was 1998 when the book came out. It took mm-hmm. a year for publishers and it took seven years for me to write. So wow. I actually started working on it at the beginning of the beginning of the 90s. I became a yoga teacher in 1985. Wow. And I think what inspired me to write the book, you know what? In a way, I was full to overflowing. That's Mm. how I kind of felt. And I wanted to, a couple of things had happened. I'd been along to a talk with the Osora set, um, their kind of leader, I think Nefa Amen is called. And I'd gone along to this talk. And he he was talking about Dravidian people in India, which is kind of like black folks in yoga. And I was kind of like, hmm, this is really interesting. I'd read his book. I'd see he had like half a page on Dravidians. Anyway, I'm right at the front of this um, auditorium listening to this talk. Q&A comes. So I'm like, oh, let me ask a question. So I say, you talk about like black folks in India and Dravidians in yoga and so on. Can you tell me some? I'm a yoga teacher. I said, can you tell me some more? This was a response. You're a yoga teacher and oh you goodness. don't know 
about <laughs> black folks in yoga. How can you call yourself a yoga teacher and you wow. don't know? I'm like, I'm like this kind of like deflated, right? Deflated. Yeah, and I just kind of, you know, from standing, I kind of slowly sat my little self back down. Yeah. But um, of course, well, not of course, but I, I didn't have anything else to do with this this human because I don't believe in humiliating people like that. Not like that. Yeah, that was uncalled for. But also what it did, and I'll give thanks for this, is it made me go away and do research. Mm. And so that's what I did. I went away and, you know, we're talking, we're not talking Google research because there were no Right. Books. That wasn't <laughs> a thing then. <laughs> in, in those days. Yeah. Back in the old days. And so... <laughs> And so I did all of this kind of, you know, literally seven years of work to unpack the kind of hidden story, if you like, of yoga back in the Kemetic tradition from Egypt and also the Dravidians, the black, there's the biggest population of black folks outside of Africa. Wow. Is in India. I had no idea. And so when we talk about Shiva, now, you know, we had our suspicions about Shiva with his dreadlocks and he's smoking his. <laughs> I'm not saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> There's some parallels we I'm see. Right? We kind of knew when it came to Shiva. But right. then when you kind of really look at the Shivites and when you look at Tantra and all of those things, and it was just fascinating to me. You know, it was fascinating to me that I, I um, had a yoga teacher who, mm-hmm. let's say, advocated celibacy, for example. Mm-hmm. Not saying that that's what he did, but that's what he advocated. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> when does that ever happen? Oh, my goodness. What a new concept. Oh, don't get me started on that whole thing. Yeah. And then, then there's also Tantra. And so I was yeah. kind of like, how do these two things fit together? It wasn't making sense to me. And so there was lots of questions that I had. And also, I was really fascinated by the chakras and energy in terms of bringing my own work together, because mm-hmm. my own work had involved kind of the physical aspect, somatic work. I was, I'm was i also a psychologist, spiritual work. And anytime someone asked me, what do you do? I was mm-hmm. like, uh, I couldn't really answer because I did so many things. Yeah. And so I say in Opening to Spirit that I'm a generalist. I specialize in all things pertaining mm. to our well-being. Mm-hmm. That's a generalist. I don't need to do just one thing. My ancestors never did one thing. I ain't doing one thing. And so <laughs> we're not built that way, I don't think, as those of us from the uh, yeah diaspora. We're not really built that way. Not really how we flow. And yeah. so that kind of made me want to bring all of those things together and essentially mm-hmm. that's what I did in Open to Spirit and just focused it really on energy focused on the correlations with African spirituality and the yogic tradition that I knew mm-hmm. um, and just really looked at all of the things that support us on every level mm. so including culturally yeah you know, literally put the black back we're there and it needed putting back. I put it back and, you know, move forward from there. <laughs> you put it back 25 years ago when this was not a common conversation. Mm-hmm. You put it back where you probably even saw less diversity than we are seeing now. Because we've only come to start talking about this topic, I would say mainstream anyway, out in the public where people are, you know, actually talking about this in the last 10 years or so. Like it just was, we never, when I came to the yoga space, I came to the yoga space with my mother. My mother got a book while she was studying in England. My mother went to school in Lancashire. So she immigrated from Barbados to Lancashire, took her nursing degree in Lancashire and bought this book when she was in England called Be Young with Yoga back in 1960, whatever. She put the date in here. Uh, In 1962, she got this book. And so this book is, 
has that old book smell. She gave it to me when she moved into her new condo. She says, I've read it. I've reread it. I read it again. You can have it. And that's the journey she took into yoga. And then she taught it to me when I was a little kid. And I never really saw people of color at all, not even South Asian folks um, in the yoga space, let alone black folks. And there was a lot of um, hiding your yoga for my mother from the church because it was really poo-pooed upon in the black church uh, and in the churches that my mom was going to as a new Canadian to Canada. I'm Canadian. I'm living in Canada. And so uh, this was like something I had never considered because I'd always just kind of done it at home with my mom. So when I stepped into a traditional, a tradition, I put that in quotations, let's call it a, a commercial mainstream yoga space you know, somewhere in the 90s, right around the time that Madonna was, you know, did the red string and the cabal and did her movie and all that. And then all of a sudden, everybody was doing yoga, right? The celebrity touch to yoga that brought every kind of brought everybody in. I didn't have any interactions with other black folks. What was it like for you, like 25, you know, 1985, you became a yoga teacher? Well, for me, because I became a yoga teacher in India. And so and I did a lot of study in India and, and also in Sri Lanka. And so when I think about it, I was surrounded by people of color doing yoga. Right, right. And, so, sure. and there were white folks there as well. But for me, it was it was kind of normal that, you know, there was no, I don't think there's anybody there who was my color. Mm. But they, you know, there were, there were people of color there. And some, you know, some folks in India will be my color. Right, and, of course. And so I never really... I never really saw it as not black. Right. You know, okay. I, yeah, I did my practice. I loved it. Completely transformed my life. I came back to the UK. It was what I call kaftan and slipper time, you know, because it wasn't, you know, yoga was not a thing. You were weird. You know, you were. Oh, yes, it was on the fringe for sure. No expensive mats, no uh, expensive sportswear, no magazines with people doing performative and acrobatic poses on the front. Even when Yoga Journal came to be probably in the early 90s, we weren't seeing what we see now, that attachment to yoga as a commodity that attachment to capitalism and yoga, that attachment to the European beauty standard being attached to the asana practice. So nothing like that. We were still getting yeah. thrown out of church halls. Oh, so we would book a church hall. We would do a teacher class, and I used to do meditation practice with. The, I had something called system room meditation, and we used to do it each month. And the mm. amount of times I had my whole group thrown out of a church hall when we just wanted to be doing our meditation wow i was a spokesperson for the bbc so anytime they had this kind of question around Mm. christianity and yoga and what the issues were they they would call me up to speak to speak on it that's incredible at the time and there was no you know literally we needed a hall we needed a space and they were the spaces that we used and Mm -hmm. You know, as you said, there was not a yoga studio on every street corner at all. Not like it is now. So when you were being kicked out of these church spaces, why why were they telling you? What were they specifically telling you um, to kick you out? Because if there's a group of people sitting quietly in meditation, what disturbance would ensue for them to just come in, round you all up in the most peaceful of places, in the place where you think you'd want to connect with God, the universe, the higher spirit, your higher self. What was their excuse for kicking you out? I'm, I'm just curious. You just said it right there because we're connecting with the higher spirit. And mm. you can't connect with anything apart from God, Jesus, church, and the language of the church. And so the fear mm. was that what we were actually doing, and I guess they were afraid for us, like mm. what we were mm-hmm. doing through the meditation, we were emptying our minds. Right. And that meant that something else could come in. Mm. And so it was just an, it was just a big no-no. You just you can't, you know, as soon as they found out that what I was doing was called yoga, it was time. Oof. Wow. And I've literally, wow. literally been on the street. And I remember one time, one time um we were doing a meditation and we were all in there doing our work. And what and this particular um it was the first time that I'd met this particular person. She became known as Natasha. 
Natahu. So that was a name. We had a kind of naming ceremony later. But on that particular day, she showed up and she came in like a little minibus. Mm-hmm. And I can remember as she arrived, we were getting thrown out of this centre. Yeah. And literally, instead of greeting her or welcoming her in any way, my first words to her were, is that your boss? <laughs> and how many people does it seat? <laughs> I think we're a VW bus, like, you know what I mean? Like, or, or like a, a pa- you know, with those big passenger vans, like that whole 11 people, like her minibus. That's great. That was the first thing I said. Is that your boss? <laughs> I have a favor to ask. I don't know you, but I think I think you were sent here to help us out. Uh, oh my gosh! And then and then one of the piece, one of the other sisters who was there as mm-hmm. a dancer, she had a rehearsal space. Okay. And so literally, we all packed into what cars we had and the bus, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and we went to this rehearsal space to continue our meditation. So Which that's is- really how it was. I really think it's interesting how there seems to be the sphere from the church, um, whatever that modality of faith is, is that you're emptying your brain and then something else can enter into that space when you're supposed to be in a place. And I'm, I'm, I'm not religious in any way that you're supposed to be in, in a space where you are communing with your the higher energy, the higher self, God, all those things. So you would think the space within itself would be indicative to allowing that connection to your higher self, to God, to spirituality, that they shouldn't have to fear that is happening when you're in meditation because you're literally in a space where everybody does that a couple times a week. So that, that in and of itself didn't make any sense to me. And the mere fact that I always think about you know, if you pray, you know, you're talking to that, that to God or that higher spirit or that higher self, or you're connecting in some way to supreme consciousness. And when you're meditating, you're actually listening for that answer. You're actually just still in, in that answer. And when I started teaching um, yoga and meditation, I also started out in a church hall. I knew the pastor of the church and her feeling was anything that was going to introduce the community to the church space could potentially put more butts in the pews on Sunday morning. So they promoted it at the church because it was going to kind of bring people who wouldn't ordinarily come into church into the church. So they saw it as an opportunity to connect those two types of spirituality. And I was uh, that was the United Church here in town. Right. And that is a much more progressive way of looking at it. Because I know yeah. for myself, when I really started getting into yoga and it becoming a kind of, um, well, it becoming a transformative practice for me. Mm -hmm. One of the things that it actually did was it helped me kind of understand the church. It helped me kind of, you know, I I grew up in the church Mm -hmm. and it kind of helped me. I I think what happened was I felt that in church, which I kind of left when I was around 13, Mm -hmm. what I found was that it wasn't giving me practical things to do. It was telling right, me, right, right. I needed to believe. I needed to get saved. Getting saved didn't appear to be working for me, <laughs> and so it kind of told me to do all of these things. <laughs> really, it wasn't working. Surprise! <laughs> and so I, I didn't mind giving it a try, but it didn't seem to right. work. So right, I get it. <laughs> when I yoga, all of a sudden, I had something that I could do that was practical and that made a difference, that transformed my life, that I could see I was a better person, I was thinking differently, I was behaving differently. Not that I was bad before or anything. No. (laughs) Refining. Just refining who you were. Refining who you were. But I really just, you know, the difference was a 360-degree turn. Okay. Because I was introduced to myself, you know, on a deep mm. level. And that helped me understand so many other things, including people. And and I it also I didn't go back to church, but I could have. Right. Because I now understood that if you want to be a better person, which I did, mm-hmm. this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And you never told me that in the church. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now I know, so I can do it. So that's cool. 
That's that's the many things I love about the yoga practice is there is a set of practices that are tangible that you can apply to everyday life that makes you maybe stop and think in the moment. I mean, the best one for me out of all of it was, you know, the self-study. That's the self-reflection is huge and it's exhausting, mind you, which is why most people don't really want to do it because you're like, oh, oh, how do, why am I feeling this? Why am I angry about this? Why am I losing my patience with this? Why do I feel this way about this? This is an interesting way to look at something, but what if we looked at it this late? Like that kind of stuff is like exhausting and there's always work to do. A really good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Gail Parker, who I think you must know, I think you're both on um, women, like I think black women who write or black women who write powerfully, there's a whole series going out there that is, that is life-changing. I believe she's in your group and it just, it just, it's also a good friend of mine. Yes. It's like, yes. Uh, She recently moved out to California. I miss her. She used to live like an hour away from me and we would have lunch before the pandemic at least once a month. But Mm. she is a fantastic person that has a very similar kind of background to you in that you're a psychologist. She was a psychotherapist for like 40 plus years and using that yoga to create transformation in people's lives, which is what you do. Do you put the the psychological practice together with the spiritual practice as you are leading people into a space to transform their lives? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always, as a psychologist, my work is always going to be informed by that. So even if I'm not kind of thinking about it consciously, which I don't always, because I, I, I kind of turned away from it a little bit and integrated more spiritual perspectives into my work but it's still going to always um it's still always going to influence the way that I the way that I work I mean the thing that I love at the moment is the coaching practice Mm, and mm -hmm. kind of coaching way helping people to really move forward with their lives really empowering people training other people to be coaches so that their relationships that they have particularly therapeutic ones or transformational ones can be empowering rather than kind of old paradigm and a little bit disempowering um you know Mm. they kind of level out that playing field with people and put everything back in their hands so that they feel empowered they feel strong they feel as if they're able to make choices feel as if they're able to make change that they want to that they want to make feel as if they have the answers themselves you know all all of those all of those things that's what I'm really loving you know what I think that's a great um tool to have I've never thought of using like using a spiritual coach to help keep me on track. Tell me, like, what does a session with Shola look like? Like, how do you, Mm. how do you communicate with somebody around what their spiritual needs are to get back on track? Yeah, there, there, there are a few different things because I I think that at the moment, what I, how I support people is I do two things. I energize and I empower. Mm. And the way that I look at those things is I may work with people who personally want to make some changes maybe they've reached a particular turning point in their life I mean we all want to change and we reach these significant times you know sometimes Mm -hmm. you you may have lost a job may have lost a partner children may have grown up and be leaving home or you just may have come to one of these significant places where you know there's more to life and so mm-hmm. I'll support people mm-hmm. to really navigate that process for themselves, to kind of go inside, to work with the energy, to journey with the chakra system, and also kind of physically. So to look at things like diet, look at things like mindset, look at things like rest, energy. Oh balance. my goodness, rest. Yeah. So all of those, all of those things, that's one of the ways that I work with people. And the other way that I work with people, having worked in this area myself for three and a half decades, is supporting other people who want to build a kind of purpose-driven business. And so I also Mm. mentor people around their business as well to keep it kind of purpose-driven, keep it heart-centered, but at the same time be able to pay the mortgage. Yeah, that's a big one. I often found out, like, as a yoga teacher, when I started teaching, it was never my intention to own a yoga studio. I'm 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 an accountant by trade, right? 
mm-hmm. haven't been for a really long time. But that was what I was interested in doing and was working at, as an auditor at the time that I decided that this kind of work wasn't fulfilling anymore. And when I was sitting at a desk, I a conversation that I had had with myself is, I am so miserable here. Like I, I really lately have been thinking about people who are stuck in a career because they need to pay their mortgage. They need to pay their bills, myself included. I have two teenage sons. One is currently off at school, which that is an investment in and of itself for him to go to school. My second um, son will be, you know, entering post-secondary education in the next couple of years. And so all of this in the real world is very necessary. Like we live in a world where we do need to make a living to keep a roof over your head, to feed your children, to go to work. Um, And I find a lot of people do this spiritual work, particularly in yoga, love the practice. I think mostly they love the asana practice or that, that feeling um, of freeness that they get maybe after practicing. And they decide to give up their careers and pursue a spiritual practice as a, as a, as a job. And a lot of people fail at it. And a lot of people come to me and say, oh, you know, this will be my retirement job. They're going to finish out the career they're in. And then their retirement job would be in this. What would you say to somebody who's had, you know, maybe been practicing a spiritual practice for the last five years and has decided they no longer want to, you know, do whatever job they're doing and they want to start a new life? Because when people come at me with that, I'm always hesitant to tell them, you know, yeah, follow that passion, follow that dream, because I've seen so many people fail at it. Yeah, I mean, I think first and first and foremost, your spiritual practice is for exactly that. It's for your personal transformation. And you. Yeah, and it's for you. To be, you know, and it, it will definitely, let's say, pay dividends if that's how you're seeing it. You know, if you're, if you're really coming into yoga for what yoga is, you know, in terms of a, a process of transformation that can reintroduce you to yourself, that can support you to kind of expand into your greatness as a, as a human in body, mind and spirit, then that for me is first and foremost. And I think what we have to be re- really careful around is when we decide or when we want to take that passion, let's say, um, and create a, a passion-driven business, we, well, I know for myself, what I wanted to be sure of was that I was not going to lose my spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. So as a foundation, mm-hmm. I, I'll mm-hmm. explain, because I had, um, before I came into yoga, I had a fashion business. So I've always had some kind of business. Now, when I yeah. decided that I needed something more in my life, something deeper, something more meaningful, I kind of left that business behind. And it was something that I'd done from very, very young, and I lost the passion for it. And actually, I lost the passion for it because it had become a money-making business. You know, I literally would come home, I would count money, and I would be, okay, I did well. That was how I was, it wasn't how I started, but it was how I ended up monitoring this business. If I made X amount of money, that means you did well. And of course, for me personally, that's not sustainable. And that's why I left that business. Mm. Because, it, you know, it wasn't fulfilling. And so now I don't create any, as we can see, I don't create any clothes. So whereas I always made all my own clothes, very, very creative in terms of design, I lost all of that. And so when I came to, when I made that transformation in my own life, when I wanted to share that with other people, When I saw how I could do that, when I saw what the exchange needed to be, I always maintained for myself that I couldn't make this into a business in such a way that I could lose my own spirituality, if that makes sense, in the same way that I'd lost the kind of design and the the passion for fashion, let's say. So that awareness, that kind of consciousness, that integrity had always been kind of front, back and centre of the way that I work. And so 
that's what I would want people to think about. If you're coming, if you're coming into the yoga industry, because mm-hmm. you see it as something where you will make money, and that is your key mm-hmm. reason for doing that. I'm not the right mentor for you, first mm-hmm. of all. First of all. But also, I don't know how right. successful you would be doing that. So for me, it has to really start from the yeah. center out. And then I feel that we'll, we'll be blessed, mm. you know. And another thing I will say to people as well, if you really want to make, you know, your six figures, your millions and all of this, this is not necessarily the route. You, there's much easier yeah. ways to make a whole heap of money. So you <laughs> will do those things if that's what you're trying to do. So I think it all really depends. Mm. But if what you want to do is you found something that is really meaningful for you and you know that it changes lives, you know the impact that it can have and the difference that it can make and you want to share that with others, then there are, there are lots of ways that you can do that. And you can do that in a way that is kind of dharma you can do that in a way that you can still eat. Your cupboards don't have to be empty. You can do it in a way that you can pay your mortgage and send your kids to school. And you can do that and stay in integrity. But there are ways, mm-hmm. there are specific ways to do it so that you can really make a difference and at the same time kind of stay, you know, stay in alignment with what is really important. I I think that's the big one. And I sometimes think when folks come to me and want to leave their current careers because they're miserable and they want to pursue uh, yoga as a way to um, support themselves and to share the passion of this practice with folks, I also think people come into it and don't really, like you say, have have the right intention for it. That that that's they have it has to be something bigger it has to be something heartfelt it has to be something um that connects with your integrity and that is ultimately your dharma what i i love what you said about that that it, it you know there ha- there ha- we have to do these things in alignment or they don't work yeah i think so definitely and, you know and i mean in the time that definitely. i've been doing this i've seen you know seen so many come and go and I, you know i think yeah that, that's yeah. Yeah, yeah, if you're not in alignment, that's what will happen. And also, you know, you go on to the next thing. Whereas for me, I can't yeah. go on to the next thing from yoga. <laughs> you know, because it is a thing, right? For me, so I it can't, is the thing. Yeah, yeah, I don't have anywhere else to go, so I have to make sure that this is done well. And it's interesting because I don't teach asana. I haven't taught asana since 1997. I stopped teaching asana class. <laughs> But I was, wow. but I'm still, you know, I remain a yoga teacher. You know, all of the work. For yeah, me is yeah. Yoga is not just asana. Yeah, you know, it's based on the philosophy. I, I think teaching. people need to understand that. Yeah, yeah, you know. And it, and Sorry, there's a bit of a delay. <laughs> yeah, most of my work. I thought there's a little bit of a delay. Right. Sorry, you go. <laughs> it's my work is based on energy. And, and really understanding the philosophy and understanding the psychology as well of, of yoga. Mm. And so it's always, you know, I do teach a little asana, but I don't teach asana class. You know, right. I, I taught asana for 10 years and then I stopped. <laughs> you know, a lot of people who are who are more connected to the entirety of the practice I find don't teach a lot of the asana because I tell my students all the time um, because I teach asana from the perspective of making peace with the temple, which is your body. Because as you know, in Western culture, we are constantly telling people that their bodies aren't good enough, that their bodies need to be changing. And, you know, with the big, um, advent of social media and being able to use a filter to change your face. And then we have, you know, influencers that are posting pictures about their bodies, which they've had surgically enhanced. So there's a lot of people out there with body dysmorphia and a lack of trust in their bodies and not seeing themselves represented in their bodies. And my, my approach to the yoga practice in the asana space is to present something that is other than what is constantly being seen or constantly being promoted that anybody in any body 
can participate in a spiritual movement practice if that's what they want. But I feel people who are really connected to the practice fully understand that asana is the third limb out of eight, and there's so much more deeper work we can be doing. Yes, we are moving our bodies in an attempt to be able to sit and to take in this information, to be closer to source, all those things, but it's such a tiny part of the practice. And people who I find who are dedicated to the practice and also really dedicated to decolonize the practice, as you said, bringing the black back into yoga, um, understand the importance of digging deeper in through that philosophy and living from that perspective, which is what you're doing beautifully in the well-being space. Yeah, yeah, that just it just feels so important, so important to me, and and I yeah to really get for me, I think for people to really get the essence of what yoga is, you're not going to get that. Well, you may, but you're not going to get that so much if what you're doing is a physical practice alone. You know, it has yeah, to be a, a practice that will really take you into those deeper kind of depths and realms of, of who you are in, in the world. Mm-hmm. 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 And how you can show up in the world, especially now when the world feels, I, I have to stop saying this because my, my spouse, my partner's always saying to me, you're scaring the kids, right? Because I'm looking at the world and I'm disappointed in the steps that we are falling back on, that we're no longer seeming to want to see people's humanity, that there seems to be a specific set of rules that uh, everybody must abide to. And if you don't fall into this particular subset of rules, which is which is dominated by colonialism, then we're looking for ways to take away your rights. And this is something that I find is really terrifying. And what yoga has taught me is the ability to stand up for all of us to live our authentic lives and for all of us to be in community with each other and for all of us to embrace the differences within humanity, knowing that there is a common thread with all of us. But I'm just really scared scared at the state of the world. Now, I live in Canada and we are we are often heavily influenced by the United States because we share the longest undefended border and the culture of the United States is huge. So it permeates everywhere. And to watch a shift shift happening in London and in Britain and to watch a shift shift happening here in Canada towards this exclusionary set of rules that doesn't allow for people to be themselves and for doesn't that doesn't allow for your individuality or your connection to your own spiritual practice to be respected right that we have people who are trying to change laws and put laws in place that keep people really connected to this idea of colonialism and a colonial mindset I mean, I'm always reminded, <laughs> reminded my, by my friends, particularly in the US, that I live in the belly of the beast. Oh, okay. They <laughs> <laughs> like to oh. remind me that, you know, this is kind of where it all started. Um, right. Yeah, right. Which, is, which is, you know, which is true and that, you know, it's around us all the time. But I, I think what yoga also allowed me to do was have that place of kind of refuge as well. And a place yeah. where I can, where I can, where I'm kind of almost taking my own equity, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. a place where I, how to, how to describe you know, I, th- I think that we all come in, we all come in with a purpose, a divine purpose. Something that we are to do in the world. I think of it as a piece of the jigsaw puzzle. And we all come in. Mm-hmm. And I think, so when we arrive and we find that for some people, for a myriad of different reasons, it's more difficult to express your piece of the jigsaw puzzle and for you to be that, what is important to me is that while we're, let's say, fighting for a seat at the table, that we don't yeah. forget what our actual purpose for being here is. Mm-hmm. So my purpose for being here is not to fight to get a seat at the table. That's not why I'm born. That's not why I came in. You know, I have something unique to really offer in mm-hmm. this world as does every other, you know, human. I like to say that you are totally unique. Mm 
just like everybody else. Yes. <laughs> and and yes. so we all have something yes. to yes. offer. And I think that where some of us have hurdles to to kind of jump and we have, you know, obstacles to move out of the way and all kinds of things to be about our purpose and to be about our business, that sometimes what happens is we forget what our actual purpose is. And that for me is really important to either remind people to live on purpose, you know, and really come yes, back to an expression of self, a unique expression yeah. of self. Um, and so, yes, there's work to be done. And there's still work to be done. Yes. No doubt that work to be done is going to go on for a long time. And I think that for us to also yeah. to connect to our unique dharma, to our unique purpose, to our unique reason for being born is also really, really mm. important. We need not forget, you know, that unique piece of the puzzle that we bring into the world. Absolutely. And how... I always say how uninteresting the world would be if we were all forced into these kind of cookie cutter situations that we don't have the ability to express our uniqueness, that we don't have the ability to bring the spice that we bring to life, right? We bring spice. We're, we're doing the things that elevate humanity. And it's important that we preserve that and we keep those rights available for all of us. Because I look at yoga for myself and in my practice as a bit of a political animal, because everything we do is political. Everything has the potential to influence people's lives, to change people's lives, to get our lives back onto track, to connect with others. And I think what you're doing, helping people find their path, helping people connect with who they are, helping people streamline their purpose is a big part of creating a collective that serves all of us and creating a collective that's about intentional well-being and about care and interrupting harm in the world for all of us, right? So that we are in community, we are in unity, because at a time right now in the world, things feel very disjointed. And I kind of think there's a life before the pandemic and there's a life after the pandemic. And a lot of us had some real trauma during the pandemic. So I think a lot of us are in need of a, a reset that we've kind of lost our purpose because we been sitting at home watching the world unfold around us and not knowing how to be a part of it or how to connect with it post pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And I really, you know, I really kind of think that that was a, a huge wake up, you know, a huge wake up call. I think yeah. of the kind of, For a lot of people. yeah, absolutely. I think about, I like to call, um, I refer to it as kind of got the goddess Rona. Oh, Okay. Because Corona actually is a goddess, is the name of a goddess. And so I... I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. So Corona is the name of a goddess. And so I'm, I like to be on kind of first name terms with the goddess Rona and just, just speak with her and just see what's happening. And so the way that I right. saw it was the goddess Rona kind of turned around and said to us as humans, you all need to sit yourselves down Go back in your house and reflect on your behavior. So <laughs> Sounds like my mother. You need to go to your room, sit on your bed and reflect on your behavior. I laugh because I've heard this many times in my yeah, life. Yeah, and so I think that that's what the goddess Rona kind of really said to us. Yeah. Like, no, 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 no. You cannot carry on like this. Y'all need to stop. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, mm -hmm. and so the goddess Rona had us stop for like two two years and two almost three years yeah. and as we're kind of almost three yeah almost three as we're kind of coming out of that I do believe that there's a potential for a new consciousness to emerge yes and Agreed. so you know for Agreed. me that's what I'm kind of interested in you know what is this new consciousness that is emerging and how do we really facilitate that unfolding and that process of yeah. something new, a new paradigm being birthed and kind of coming into being. Which scares, I think, a lot of people because a lot of people are grasping and holding on to that old paradigm, which is why I think we see that shift of of, of laws and of, of attitudes, that there's, there's a real awakening. I kind of think of it, when you mentioned the goddess Rona, I kind of think of it as the flip, right? 
the flipping from the patriarchy to the to the matriarch, that flip of that divine uh, feminine energy, that change to caring and looking out for each other, that moving away from every person for themselves and how much money can I make off a particular person, that kind of stuff, moving away from that mindset and coming to more of a collective well-being mindset that we are looking out for each other, that nothing happens in a vacuum, nothing happens without connection and knowing who we are, knowing what our purpose is, is the first step to making that connection to others. That's what, that's what I kind of glean from this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally, I totally agree because it's a kind of like a mass healing, you know, if we're ready, if we're able to accept that, if we're able to go there, then we have that potential for healing en masse, you know, really across. We have the potential for yoga, you know, we have the potential for unity. We have the potential for Mm -hmm. ahimsa to really look at what is it that will cause no harm? What do we need to do that is truly not causing harm? How can we come into more satya? How do we come into that real place of truth? And so, yeah, I mean, I totally agree that as we come out of this, um, you know, forced grounding by the goddess, then we have that real potential for yoga, for unity. Absolutely. And that's what it's all about. As we come up on the hour, I wanted to talk about some of the programs that you are offering. First of all, tell us um, a little bit about the work. I know you have a new program launching in May. Can you can you share what you're doing in May? I would love to hear how that works. And I'm sure our listeners will want to connect with you on that. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. That is a program that actually I have been bringing into being all through all through lockdown and before. And it's called Shechem mm. Mayat. Shechem Mayat. And it, it, it really speaks to what we've just been talking about because it is about cultivating the energy of the divine feminine. It works with mm. the triple goddess and also Mayat herself. So Mayat is the goddess of the heart. So I speak about Maya in opening mm. spirit, but Maya is also the goddess of justice, of truth, of balance, of order. Mm. It's her scales that you will see it. on the courts. So today, if you go and look at a courtroom, there's going to be some scales. They mm. are the scales of Maya. And so this particular program, it's a healing program, and it's a it's a kind of healing journey. It's a journey of really healing the heart and claiming my art. And it's, it's in kind of three mm. parts. I have an initiate program is the first part of it. And then there's a practitioner part because there's also kind of literally hands-on healing. There's deep divine rest is a big part of this program. And then what I'm wanting to do as well is have people who will be trained to also train others in Shechem Maya, mm. really about really about healing the heart and coming back to our mm. nature, really remembering who we are, coming back to our true nature as as kind humans, uh, and really mm. it to the oldest healing systems that we know that come from Kemet, that come from Central Africa as well, and also from the the kind of ancient Egyptian systems. So I've been spending a lot of time in Kemet in, in, in Egypt and just really allowing that ancient kind of practice and principles to just permeate my being so that I can really bring forth this new this new work. So it's ancient work, but it's brought forward in a kind of new way, really looking at what I think of as new paradigm medicine. I love it. I love it. That sounds fantastic. And where could somebody register for this? Oh, good question. Can I give you a link that, that we can share? In the yes. Show? Yeah, so we can do that. Yes. I mean, I'll, yeah, give- so I'll link it into the show notes. Yes. Yeah. So for right now, I think your website is probably the best. Is that the best way for people to connect with me? Yeah, my website is the perfect place. And particularly if you sign up, I think on the first page is a little opportunity to to sign up. What happens if you do that signing up is you will get a, a guide to managing energy and creating more ease in your life. 
nice really 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 useful and then also you will be the first to hear when Sheikh and Maya is launched it's going to be in May in the Washington Washington DC area area okay wonderful but you'll be the first to hear as long as you find them so if you go to your website it's energy for number four life coach.com and you can check out all the offerings i think this offering is going to be incredible and it's in the dc area so that's that's pretty central in the eastern time zone so again energy the number four lifecoach.com and you have access to all her events retreats i'm looking at your egypt retreat the Mm -hmm. sacred journey that that looks beautiful Um, I really want to get to the continent and that's an opportunity to journey through the chakras and the, the temples of Kemet. So that's beautiful. And I'm loving all the pictures that you're sharing here. So it's something that if you've been meaning to, Oh, look at you in front of the pyramids. Uh, if you've been meaning to really reconnect with that part of yourself, I think that's an awesome retreat. I have to go to the continent. I want to feel like it's like what it's like to step on that soil where my people have come from because we've been so incredibly disconnected connected from that part of our knowing and that part of our being. So to take that journey with somebody who is intensely connected to their spirituality and purpose, I think could be life-changing if that's something um, that you're looking for in the, in the retreat space, for sure. Just that real connection just gives such a connection to, to your greatness. And it's, 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 you know, I call it transformation vacation because that's what it is. It's a transformation. I love that. I love that. It's a definitely, and it and it gives you so much space for transformation in the beauty of that space. So to take it all in, I think it just, that would be a big 360 for a lot of folks. And we've talked a lot about this on the pod, but I want to ask you specifically, you personally, what does Shola do for intentional well-being? If you are taking care of yourself and not others, just you, just for you, something that's intentional just for you, what is that? Ooh, my favorite things. What, what, what are my favorite things? <laughs> I absolutely, and this is not because it's a new kind of self-care thing. I've always loved it. I love being in the spa. I love the hammam and the spa space. So that's really important to me. And one of my other favorite things that is just for me is my early morning meditation. Nice. That, that's my meditation. So that is that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. I'm laughing because I, I get it. <laughs> well, that's the other thing that for me is huge. I use it for my well-being. I use it for my creativity. I use it because sometimes, like my favorite quote says, how nice it is to do nothing and then rest yes. afterwards. So I love it. <laughs> I am. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, it takes in all of those things. I'm a big meditation person. I'm. <laughs> I love my spa. I love doing nothing. Mm. I mean, I'm kind of blessed in that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I really do. Listen, anything. I'm a big fan of doing nothing as well. I'm really, I'm at the point where I'm tired of the grind, right? I'm getting to an age where that's not something I want to participate in anymore. And I'm really loving this kind of this shift to to more restful spaces, to do more restful things, to really incorporate rest. And I always think to myself, my ancestors have already worked to death, right? Mm-hmm. That's a story that is Uh, as old as time, I don't need to repeat that. Like, you know, I am moving forward out of that space. I'm already, you know, the hope and dream of my ancestors, but to also incorporate the opportunity to literally do nothing and then to rest after doing nothing. Oh yeah. That's number one. This is my plan. That's number one. I usually like to do that on a Sunday, turn off all electronic devices, not participate in the world and just do the things that I want to do, whether that's, you know, riding my bike or going for a walk or sitting in meditation or literally just laying around. Mm -hmm. 
That's right. And so actually, the when you sign up on the website, I'm going to give another email, another ULR because it's an easier one. And that is shola, S-H-O-L-A dot C-O dot U-K. Shola.co.uk will also get you to the exact same place. And when you sign up, you this guide for creating for managing energy but it's also for creating ease so let me just tell you what ease is because creating ease is about energy awareness success and excellence but we want to create ease we want to do that so that we have energy we got to have energy i don't want to be all tired out and all broke up no <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, uh, when I was growing up or when I was starting my business or, you know, when I was in my 20s, 30s and even 40s when I was there, the big thing was I will rest when I'm dead. I will sleep right. when I'm dead. Do you remember that adage? I really believe that's uh, an attachment to capitalism and colonialism. Like you have to go, you have to go, you have to go, you have to go, you have to go. And like, where has it really gotten us? Not, not far. So I think trying something else is, is the thing to do. We can never get to a place that we have never been before. If we continue to not do, if we continue to do old things or if we don't try something new. And I think that's what really scares people. But I think that's the only way forward is to shift out of this current paradigm because it's not working for most of us. It doesn't work. It absolutely it's doesn't not work. It really doesn't work. You've been told a lie. And, you know, I, when I, just coming back to opening to spirit, when people ask me, oh, how did, you, how did you write this book? You must have done so much research. You worked so hard. And I was, I would be like, I I was kind of surprised at first because what I did was open to spirit. That's the name of the book, open to spirit, but also create ease. And when we do that, there's nothing that we can't achieve. And I think it really is about that. When you push in Europe, we say you can't push a river. You have to let it flow. Flow. That's smart. Yeah. That's and true. when you do that, when you open to spirit, when you create ease, when you allow things to flow, you will actually be more productive and you will create more. Mm-hmm. And you'll mm-hmm. be able it to. It makes sense. It, it makes sense. If the other way, mm-hmm. trust me, I'll do that. But since it doesn't. I know. <laughs> I know. But we don't learn as human beings. We just keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. Isn't that literally the definition of insanity? doing the same thing over and over again and, and expecting a different result. Like how many of us are actually doing that in our lives? Okay, so if I keep at this one thing constantly, even though it's been unsuccessful in the past, it will finally change. And I don't know. I haven't heard a lot of people say, you know, hitting your head against a brick wall has been helpful to do anything, to be that's honest. Right. My mother right. used to say that. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's a Monica saying for sure. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Shola. It has been absolutely amazing to meet you in kind of in person over the interwebs across the pond. So I'm going to send everybody to your, your website. So once again, you can go to Shola dot co dot uk which will also take you to her website don't worry all of this will be in the show notes energyforlife.com you can book a one-on-one uh, consultation uh, with her so that you can um, get to know how she can help you start to move with more ease energize your life get your life back on track maybe start a spiritual practice if you don't have one and these are things that are actually rooted in science and in truth as opposed to the kind of wellness junk we see out in the world and i think it's really important to connect with somebody who has a solid footing in their own spirituality and wellness and after over three decades of doing this work i i really feel that it would be an absolute honor and treat to to connect with with your spirit with you and have that work um, influence your life. Thank you so much for being on the pod. Thank you, Diane. It's been wonderful. And you know, I'm thinking Thanks. I feel a little bit like um, you know when Ayanla and Oprah get together, like old friends, and they just sit talking, talking. talking. <laughs> 
Yes, I do. I love to see her banter back and forth with Ayana and also with Gail. I love to see the two of them, you know, go back and forth. Yeah, I, I feel that too. This has been a wonderful experience. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you to everybody who's listening in the podcast. Please, if you think this podcast can help somebody in your life, share it, uh, comment on it, reach out to Shola, reach out to uh, to myself. You can find this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, and we're always interested in sharing an experience. And once again, thank you, Shola. And to everybody else on the podcast, make sure that you are intentional with your well-being. Mm-hmm.